In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. From the epistle. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Today's epistle is about practicing humble behavior that promotes unity in the body. But there are two words in the epistle that are very important, understanding it, that have nothing to do with either humility or unity. And the first of these words is, therefore. Therefore indicates that the exhortation to holiness that St. Paul is giving us is based upon a point he has previously made. In the previous chapters of Ephesians, St. Paul has explained the mystery of God that has been revealed in Christ through the Spirit. Ephesians 1 says, quote, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on earth. Ephesians 2 describes how God has brought the Gentiles into the covenant that he first made with Israel. St. Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this salvation has come to us by grace, not as a result of our own personal merit. Quote, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created by God in Christ to do the good works he has prepared for us that we should walk in. St. Paul was particularly humbled by God's choice of <coughs> as the one to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Quote, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden by God in Christ. The word therefore relates to all of this. God has done all of these things for us. Therefore, we should walk worthier of our calling in humility, long-suffering, in gentleness, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We should endeavor to be in our behavior what God has made us to be by virtue of his actions towards us. There is no hint of guilt, shame, or fear in this exhortation. Rather, love is presented to us as the only reasonable response to having been loved by God. And this pattern is embedded in our liturgy. Each week we experience again 
the mystery of our salvation. God gathers, gathers us all together in unity in the sacrament. We who tend to drift away from God are once again brought near through the blood of Jesus. We come as sinners who probably have left undone some things we should have done and probably have done some things we should not have done. Salvation is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Our behavior, what we're called to be when we leave the altar of God, is a result of this grace that we experience at the altar of God. We will misunderstand the Christian life if we see the call to holiness as the requirement for admission into the kingdom. It is only after we've experienced God's grace and favor that we are even able to do all such good works as he has prepared for us to walk in. Our behavior is always uh, therefore. The other significant word in the epistle is the word calling, which means also vocation. We are to walk worthy of the calling or vocation with which we have been called. We all have vocations. Some of us are fathers and mothers. Some of us are businessmen, businesswomen. Some of us are counselors, teachers. Some of us are bishops, priests, and deacons. When we are called to these things, or whether these, sometimes these vocations just sort of come upon us, we enter into a process of training and formation. We attempt the tasks that are appropriate to our vocation, and sometimes at the beginning we don't do very well at them. But we study, and we practice, and we learn to do them better. In a chosen vocation, it is assumed that you will make many mistakes as you train and learn, and that these mistakes you make will ultimately help you to be more proficient in that vocational work. The epistle tells us that we are called, that we have a vocation to behave in a way that is humble and long-suffering that bears with those who struggle, that aims at the virtue of corporate unity rather than just what I want. And frankly, as we enter into this vocation, none of us is very good at it. We are, in fact, prideful, impatient with each other, and we are usually much more concerned about what I want than we are with the greater good of the body even though we may hide our intentions with a Bible verse or religious jargon. We need a lot of training to develop in our vocation. One problem in spiritual formation is that Christians tend to look at their failures judicially rather than vocationally. We think that our failures lead God to reject us, and so we drift away from God feeling unworthy of his grace. And this leads many to abandon the Christian vocation. However, it is precisely the habitual return to the experience of grace that enables to 
that enables us to grow through our failures and make progress as disciples of Jesus. If you want to get to the therefore, you must continue in the experience of grace upon which the therefore is based. The reference point for progress in our Christian vocation is the family rather than the courtroom. If we are reasonably healthy parents, we do not disown our children every time they break our rules or disappoint us. Instead, we respond to them in a way that will lead to their growth, to their learning, to their progress. Sometimes there will be discipline. Sometimes we will leave them alone to figure it out on their own, and sometimes they will learn very hard lessons. But they remain our children, we still love them, and our actions towards them, even when we make parental mistakes, are still intended to reflect that love. Jesus said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father do good things for those who ask him? If we know how to train and discipline our children while still loving them and accepting them, how much more does God know how to train and discipline us in our vocation even while he continues to accept us and love us, while he never ceases to be our Abba, Father. One potential problem here is that not all parents provide a healthy reference point. If our early parental figures made us feel rejected, guilty, and ashamed every time we did something that normal children do, we will tend to think that God looks at us this way. Thus, a major aspect of spiritual growth is learning to differentiate the concept of God, our Heavenly Father, from whatever disordered authority we may have experienced in our previous life. And this highlights the importance of cultivating the experience of grace through prayer. It also highlights the importance of having people in our lives, gifted members of the body of Christ, who can mirror God's love to us so that we can experience God's grace in our current relationships, so we can learn the new dynamics of the kingdom that will help us move beyond maybe some things we've learned in the past. The more we experience God's grace towards us, in our life or prayer and in our community, the more we understand the therefore and the more confident we become in our vocation. I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.